0: Good morning. I'd like to repeat one of the announcements Jana gave at the beginning of the service. We will gather as a congregation uh, this Holy Week on Thursday evening at 7.30 and again on Friday at noon for Holy Week worship. People who attend these services routinely tell me that they are some of the most meaningful in the entire year we share together. And I believe that is because the wonderful news of resurrection can only be fully embraced if we first take seriously the brokenness that we find in the road to the cross. I invite all of you to make it a priority to join us for worship this week. And if you are not able to join us, uh, to take it upon yourself to read the story of Jesus' road to the cross found in the Gospels. And we'll see you on Easter Sunday. Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, and open us to your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Over the past several weeks, we've been studying the creation stories in Genesis as a weekly discipline for Lent. Today, on Palm Sunday, we read of the sixth day of creation, on which God creates the four-legged animals that walk the earth and also humankind. And the Bible tells us as it has on each of the previous five days, that God saw that it was good. A problem we have not yet discussed is that in many successive stories of the Bible, we will see that things are not good. Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden of Eden as soon as chapter 3, the enslavement of the Hebrew people, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the death of Jesus on the cross, these things come quickly to mind. There are many others. A part of growing up is learning that most things, and certainly most people, are not purely good or evil, but are some of both. When we are very young, we cannot hold this tension together, so the earliest stories we learn are simple ones. There are good guys and bad guys, and the good guys win. But great stories, the ones worth relying upon as we mature, are more complicated than that. So the Bible is not a collection of stock characters who are purely good or evil. The ones we consider heroes are the ones who, with God's help, struggle against the evil impulses in themselves and in the world, and try to live as faithfully as they can. Outside of the Bible, the stories we consider the best operate under the same assumptions. Whether the story is written by Victor Hugo or Maya Angelou or J.R.R. Tolkien, great stories are not built on simplistic ideas of good and evil, but rather around ideas like betrayal and forgiveness and redemption, ideas that involve the interplay between good and evil in one and the same life. The story Christians call Palm Sunday is a complicated one because of the presence of both good and evil. We want to call it good, of course. What is better than our children parading up the aisle, waving their palms, learning the stories of Jesus side by side with their friends? But anyone who knows the whole story realizes it is not so simple as this, Palm Sunday is the beginning of Jesus' final road to the cross. It is five days from Good Friday, and the very same onlookers who waved palm branches and strew his way with their cloaks and shouted Hosanna will soon stand in a mob and shout, Crucify him. They will call his teachings of peace and love and grace Impractical and naive, these same people who once called him their Lord. Good and evil in the Bible is not a simple matter. So, what are we to think of the evil in this story? Harry Emerson Fosdick, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, suggests that when you look deeply into the stories of Jesus' death, the characters are complicated. None of them, not a one, is simply evil. Neither the mob that shouts crucify him, nor even Pilate or Judas Iscariot are meant to be altogether evil. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, was not an overt enemy of Jesus. The story provides plenty of evidence that he did everything he could think of to distance himself from Jesus' sentence, to wash his hands of the case. Pilate's sin is that there is a system of evil in the Roman Empire, and he is a willing participant But he does not pursue Jesus. His power as an agent of the Roman Empire resulted in the suffering of many powerless people. Pilate sent many people to die by crucifixion. Had he been asked years later, it may be that he would not even have remembered Jesus' name. And Pilate had reason to believe that he was doing his job well. And so we are wise to be on the lookout for things in our own lives, systems in which we live that may be more evil than we think. Likewise, Judas Iscariot, is not simply an evil man. And we know that from how his story begins as well as how it ends. Judas was the only one was only with the disciples in the first place. Judas was only there in the first place because when Jesus said, "Come and follow me," Judas was one of those who got up and went. He presumably left a job and a family and the security that went with the life he knew, and he gave all of himself to following Jesus. For three years, he was with the rest of them every step of the way. Who knows what weakness or misplaced desire compelled Judas to betray Jesus. But after he did... His guilt and shame were so overwhelming that he threw away his reward money and hanged himself. You can say plenty of bad things about Judas Iscariot, but you cannot say that he had no conscience. We should be cautious. Great evil may grow in the midst of a lifetime of good intentions. On Good Friday, a crowd will gather before Pilate's palace and will shout, Crucify! Like Pilate and Judas, they too are complicated people, and the misconception that they were simply evil, this misconception has been especially harmful in human history. While they are simply called a crowd in the telling of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the Gospel of John they are referred to again and again as the Jews, a labeling that has led to a tragic history of anti-Semitism. We have sinfully pointed at the Jews as the ones who killed our Lord. Surely there would have been non-Jews in that crowd of diverse Jerusalem citizens. And likewise, there were Jews who did not betray Jesus. Among them, we know the beloved disciple and Mary, who stood at the foot of the cross, and the women who were the first at the tomb to anoint his body. But from medieval Spain to the Nazi Holocaust, the oversimplified idea that the Jews killed Jesus has led to unimaginable human suffering. We should be cautious with our casual conclusions about the crowds we see gathering. All of these people who we are tempted to call evil, are actually much more complicated than that. What were they thinking? We can understand. Perhaps they had grown impatient with Jesus' pacifism and wanted a more practical savior. Perhaps they were religious people who were uncomfortable with the way he was changing the faith they knew. Perhaps they were good people trying to do their best. They grew tired of Jesus' demands that they pay ever more and more attention to the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable. Had they not already done enough? Perhaps they were disappointed with the results of following Jesus. It had been three years, and they wondered, if this is really the Son of God, why doesn't he just fix things already? For all of these reasons and many others, we might learn to nuance our views of the people who played a role in the death of Jesus. Especially in reference to our Jewish brothers and sisters, the nuance is important. But we cannot leave it there. For in reminding ourselves of the complexity of good and evil in these ancient people, we are meant to see that in all of these ways, they are very much like us. The point is not to make evil sympathetic. The point is to make us honest. We need to consider our own culpability in hanging Jesus on the cross. The week that is before us is meant to remind us that we are all people in whom both good and evil exists. We have hopes that we will do the right thing and the capacity to do the wrong thing, and we participate in the world that has systems that are both good and evil. as we consider the struggle against the evil impulses in our own lives, and because I have already pointed out the harm this story has done to Jews, I want to call attention to something in this story Christians and Jews share. The Gospel writers tell us, quite deliberately, that the event we know as the Last Supper was, in fact, a Passover meal. Jesus and his disciples were gathered for a Jewish ritual. Some of you may have attended a Passover Seder meal, and you will understand the connection. Passover is a meal in which Jews remember the liberation of the Hebrews from slavery slavery in Egypt. They remember it as an event in which the existence of good and evil must be remembered together. The Passover does not just recall the liberation of the Hebrews from slavery. It recalls the bitterness of the slavery they endured. It recalls the dark history of Joseph's family that led them to Egypt in the first place. It recalls the plagues and the fleeing in the night that were a part of their liberation. Rabbi Evan Moffick writes, In all of those memories, modern Jews are invited to consider the enslavements in their own lives. The places of scarcity, of imprisonment that lurk in your life. The places where you feel trapped or inadequate And the places where God's outstretched arms can renew your life and strengthen your faith. These are the same questions Christians are meant to ponder in the story of the Last Supper. Jesus breaks bread with his disciples to remind them and us of our brokenness. To remind us that salvation comes by dealing honestly with the things in our lives that are broken. I have a love-hate relationship with this Palm Sunday story. I love teaching our children about the triumphal march, the march of peace that Jesus makes into Jerusalem. But an honest telling of the story means we have to name that when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the people reject his ministry. And in so many ways, so do we. All over our country yesterday, marching children called for peace. Will we call their hope impractical and naive? Is inaction in the face of violence the best our leaders can do? It is just one situation that is top of mind for me today as our children march here at church. In how many other ways do we as Christians gather here to pray and sing and wave our palms and then find ways in the coming week not to follow Jesus? To call him impractical, or weak, or irrelevant. If we are to live lives of authentic faith, if we are to avoid repeating the sins of the past, if we are to glorify Jesus instead of once again crucifying him, we must first remember our history with honesty. God created us and called us good. And along the way, we have often gotten it wrong, and often we still do. And we must take responsibility for the evil in our lives if we are to walk faithfully on the road to the cross. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus, come into our lives this week with the challenge of your peace and love and grace. May we follow you to the cross. And may we not abandon you.